This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Colonel Alan West, it is wonderful to have you back with us again. Thank you so much for your time today. It's good to be back with you, Peter. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. And uh, everyone can follow you at Alan West on Twitter. Uh, and if, in case any of our viewers don't know who Colonel Alan West is, Executive Director, American Constitutional Rights Union Action, uh, former Texas GOP chair, former Florida representative, retired Army Lieutenant Colonel. I never know if it's left-hand or lieutenant. That's where I get my U.S. and English <laughs> mixed up. Um, author, host of Steadfast and Loyal podcast. And I saw one of your recent guests was Mark Huck, uh, the yes. pastor at his home rated by the FBI, which is a, a huge story. Um, and maybe we'll get touching on how the mm -hmm. FBI have been weaponized to that extent. And of course, mm -hmm. your substack, Alan West, .substack.com. All the links are in the description for our viewers and listeners. Midterms, and we're now approaching a year since the midterms, 10 months in. Um, the Republican Party obviously has had control of the House of Representatives. And how, for your, I want to know your assessment, I think, of how the Republicans have performed within those 10 months as someone who has been an elected official and understands the ins and outs in the different levels of political life. What, what are your thoughts as you look on what's happening at the moment? Well, I will tell you, first and foremost, the only constitutionally mandated uh, duty and responsibility that the uh, the House and the Senate are supposed to pass every year is to create a budget. That means that they're supposed to pass 12 appropriations bills. They're supposed to resolve them and send those to the president to be signed. And so once again, we're not going to make that uh, constitutionally mandated goal, which has to occur by 30 September. They're already talking about a continuing resolution, which means that the fiscal uh, calamity that we see that over $30 trillion in debt, the $2 trillion in uh, annual deficit, is just going to continue on. So I would have to grade them with an F for not being able to do what was necessary to get those appropriations bills passed in the House because they do have control of the House and put the onus on the Senate to do something. At least they have passed one appropriations bill in the House. Uh, the Senate has not uh, passed any whatsoever. Uh, but I will tell you that one thing that I will give them great credit for and commend them for is uh, what they have uncovered as far as the corruption of the uh, President Biden's family. Uh, I don't see how anyone could dismiss this. I mean, why does this family need 20 uh, secretive LLCs, uh, 50, 150-some-odd suspicious financial activity reports? Uh, we know that there has been you know, payments that have come from countries such as Romania to the uh, Biden family members, nine different members. And so when you look at some of these connections, you know, the Hunter Biden laptop is for real. It's not Russian disinformation or misinformation. And you start to see the connections between his son uh, to Ukraine, to, to China, to Russia, and of course,
course, some of the uh, issues we have now with our foreign policy. You just have to wonder if we do have a president that is compromised. And I think that's one of the things that they have to be commended for uh, getting to the bottom of this or at least getting this out there to be discussed in the political sphere. Do you think that was a bit slow? Because I know we have had Gard Ziegler on before. We've had Miranda Devine. We've uh, here in the UK, the Daily Mail will publish regular stories of Hunter and his escapades, for want of mm-hmm. a better word. Um, and it's all the information has been there and they have got round to it. Uh, do you think it was maybe possible to get to that point quicker or is it there just is not the support in the House to move it forward quicker? Well, there was not the support in the House under the Democrat control, but without a doubt, when you have people like the Daily Mail, Miranda Devine, the New York Post that are uncovering these things, you know, thankfully we did get the House back under the uh, Republican uh, leadership and control. And so you had to get the hearings done. And now we start to see all of these different things. We're starting to get uh, you know, confirmation of, of evidence and things of this nature. So I, I think that where we are right now and Kevin McCarthy coming back and saying, yeah, we got to do an impeachment inquiry, I would have said, you know, you could have made that assessment a couple of months ago without a doubt before you go on August recess uh, so you can get your appropriations bills done and, and you can continue on with this. But I'm glad to see that uh, Republicans have grown a little bit of a spine, not a, not a complete spine, but a little bit of a spine. And uh, they're standing up to the corruption and the unconstitutional actions of this administration. It is quite a difficult situation to be in. Um, and I, lack of spine is something we see certainly here in the UK as well mm. amongst most of our politicians. Uh, but it's... There's a lot happening uh, with the destruction of the country and the economy uh, through Bidenomics. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite difficult, I guess, as an elected official to respond to that, to hold Biden to account, but also to realize there is a lot of destruction being done to the country. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I don't even see how anyone could debate this. Uh, the facts are very clear. When Joe Biden came into office, inflation in the United States of America was 1.4 percent. Uh, within no time, he had taken it up to five to six to 9.1 percent. Now, I know you have a lot of people such as the White House mouthpiece, Korean Jean-Pierre, would say that it was all because of the Ukrainian invade, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, before Vladimir Putin did that, the inflation was at seven percent. Uh, and so now they're touting, well, inflation is down to, you know, 4%. Well, guess what? It's still higher than it was at 1.4%. And now there's talk within the next couple of months, it could tick back up to 5%. That is an unseen form of taxation on the American people. When you think about it, you look at the price of uh, commodities, goods and services and things of this nature. It is absolutely horrific. And then you look on top of that, the uh, Biden administration war against our energy independence and our energy sector. We were at a point where we were energy independent, producing, consuming and exporting our resources. And when Biden came in, the price of gasoline, the average price of gasoline was two buck uh, 40 cents. Uh, now is back up to close to five dollars. Uh, six in some places. So I don't understand how he thinks he could go out and, and tout the economy. Uh, maybe there are some, some onesie twosie things he can try, but 
overall, the American people know that this is not going in the right direction. And then on top of that, Peter, you have allowed six to seven million uh, people to come into the country illegally. What other country does that? What other country says we don't care about our sovereignty, just walk across the border, come in, and we will tell the American people to give you free benefits. That is also destroying our economy as well. I remember back in April when I drove across many parts of the states and um, six, seven different states from on the east, central and over in the west uh, and ended up in California, uh, realized why I'd never been to L.A. and realized why I never want to go back. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. <laughs> but, but wish I kind of had been there through Reagan's time as governor. You kind of look yeah. back in history and you wish you'd been there at that time. But. I was even surprised at the the difference in fuel prices across the country. Here in the UK, mm -hmm. it's more or less the same across the country. And um, I kind of, in my head, I was thinking, how long do those individuals who live in California put up with the fuel prices, with crime, with drugs, mm -hmm. with everything that's happening? And I kind of couldn't square that and talk to people. And they said, yeah, it's bad, but yet they'll happily vote in the same institutions, the same party, the Democrats, mm -hmm. and continue that spiral. Well, it's amazing. And, you know, I live here in Texas, and I can tell you, you see countless amounts of uh, California license plates now in Texas. And there's a big joke about how many uh, U-Haul vans are, you know, coming into Texas. They're not going back to California. They're coming into Texas. So you do have a, a huge migration. And uh, based upon the last census, uh, California has lost a an, an massive amount of population to the point where they lost two congressional uh, representative districts. So people are starting to realize it. People are starting to feel it. But the problem, Peter, in America is that uh, you have Democrat control of all the major urban population centers. And that's where you see all the greatest amount of failures. You see the poverty. You see the crime. Uh, you see the, the drug trafficking and now the human and sex trafficking because of the open borders. So even in a place like California, where, you know, a good part of that state uh, is still very strong, red, conservative, especially the Central Valley, Northern California, it's the coastal elites and it's the major population centers. You look at a state like uh, Washington. And everyone looks in and sees Seattle and Tacoma and they figure that the rest of Washington is like that. It's not. It's that one county and the county north of King County that uh, causes, you know, Washington to be a blue state. And sadly, we're seeing that happen here in Texas uh, because I live here in Dallas County, uh, Dallas County and Dallas, uh, Austin and Travis County, the capital the uh, Houston, Harris County, San Antonio, Bear County, El Paso. These are all very strong Democrat strongholds, and that's the, the major population centers. And it is amazing to me that we cannot do a better job of messaging that shows that, look, I mean, the, there's a reason why the crime is spiking. Austin, Texas is now the 15th highest city for homicides in the United States of America. The capital of Texas has the 15th highest rating for homicides. Their police chief just resigned. And why is that? Because they have a communist city council in Austin that defunded their police by $150 million. So I think we got to start stressing the, the one key issue, which is individual safety. 
Uh, you can't go out downtown Austin anymore because of the homeless situation, because of the crime situation. And I think another big issue that will play, Peter, going into the 2024 election cycle is parental rights and protection of our children. I mean, when you've got Joe Biden, his wife, Jill Biden, uh, Kamala Harris and Corinne Jean-Pierre standing up and telling the American people that their children are not theirs. They belong to all of us. Uh that's that's crossing the Rubicon, uh, as as you know, I think many people understand. And I think that's what you saw happen in the last statewide election in Virginia, when all of a sudden education became an issue. Uh, and the Democrats don't want school choice. The teachers unions here, Randy Weingart is so powerful. So I think a lot of these basic uh, kitchen table uh, homegrown local issues are going to be very important nationally in 2024. I want to pick up on that, and I watched the Virginia elections closely, and they were interesting, that issue on parental rights. But j- just on Texas, um, you were a sheriff, the, the GOP. You were a you had convictions. You had fight. You had issues you believed in and stood for. And that conviction politics, we don't see often, certainly not here in the UK and probably the same in the US there. Um, But how does that fit in with the governor, Abbott? Because I know you were certainly critical of him. And it seems as though he's put up a few floating barriers in the river and supposedly that fixes immigration. Yeah, Uh, There's a disconnect there between actually as a Republican governor, what he should be doing and actually what he is doing. And there seems to be a huge gap. There is a huge gap. And as a matter of fact, the Constitution of the United States of America says very clearly in Article 4, Section 4, that the federal government is supposed to protect every state in the union from invasion. Uh, When they don't do that, Article 1, Section 10, Clause number 3 says exactly what states can do, the actions they can take when actually invaded. And then also in the Texas State Constitution, Article 4, Section 4, it says that the Uh, responsibility of the governor of the state of Texas as the commander of the Texas military department, the uh, National Guard and and things here, he is supposed to repel invasions. When you put out 1,000 meters of big orange toys in the middle of the Rio Grande River, when Texas has a border with Mexico that is about 1,249 miles, 1,000 meters is not going to do anything. And I was just a month ago down on the border in between Eagle Pass and Del Rio and Kenny County. And, you know, talking to the law enforcement there and the sheriff there, he said, you know, people just go around it. So this this, you know, Band-Aid on a sucking chest wound type of uh, mentality, this political optic to say that, look, I'm doing something. I've got the guard down there, but no one is being turned back. And I'm sure the people in the UK know about, you know, Governor Abbott putting people on buses and sending them to New York or Washington and to L.A. also. Well, you know, as I said, the governor is aiding and abetting human and sex trafficking. Uh, He's continuing to send illegals who are here illegally uh, deeper into the United States of America. So he's actually violating the Constitution as well. And furthermore, Peter. Each illegal immigrant, it's about $1,400 for a Texas taxpayer to pay for them to be on one of these buses. I didn't sign up for that. 
I don't think any Texas taxpayer signed up for that. So my criticisms of the governor is that he does not, you know, stand up and do what he is supposed to do as the governor of Texas uh, to include some uh, unconstitutional actions where, you know, he extended his emergency powers over the state of Texas uh, unconstitutionally. He did not go through the legislature during the whole COVID issue. Who would have thought in Texas we'd have mass mandates and shot mandates? But we did. So that's why I say it, it is it is not so much a Democrat versus Republican issue anymore in the United States of America. It is about progressive socialist Marxists on one side and constitutional conservatives. And we must understand the proper role and relationship between the institution of government and the individual. Uh, and there are some people that don't get that. They want more power concentrated in seats of government, being at the federal level or even the state level or even the local level. And they usurp more individual rights, freedoms and liberties. I mean, look at what is going on in New Mexico, where you have the governor in New Mexico saying that because of the crime issue that the policies of Democrats created in Albuquerque, releasing criminals on the streets, the, the drug trafficking, human and sex trafficking, we're going to suspend the Second Amendment. Uh, we're going to create a public health crisis. You can't do that. Uh, so we have a real issue in America of elected officials that are not abiding by the rule of law. And I think that's the most important thing that we have to correct here in this country. Obviously, we in the UK look at states like Florida, like Texas, mm -hmm. as bastions of free speech, as those who hold the line on um, on the American dream. And, and yet you've described something different. Uh, uh, the governor's position, Governor Abbott, how does it fit in? What checks and balances are there on him? Because I'm assuming that that um, Texas is still a red state in some ways. Yeah, no, it, it is a red state. But, you know, I would challenge anyone to go back and look at the 2020 uh, presidential electoral map broken down by county. You can Google it and they'll pull up. And you can see the concentrations of blue in the state of Texas. You know, Texas has 254 counties. It's a pretty doggone big state. But when you focus and concentrate on those major population centers, it's a numbers game because you don't have enough population out in rural counties, being West Texas, uh, where there are some counties you may have 4,000 to 5,000 people or over in East Texas. So that's the strategy of the left. I mean, they've done that in Georgia where the major population centers, Atlanta, Macon, Augusta, Savannah, Columbus. That's the reason why all of a sudden, you know, you've got two socialist senators from the state of Georgia. So uh, we really have to pay attention to that. But, you know, Texas, you know, the, the, the governor is supposed to be restrained by the legislative branch. But when the legislative branch does not do their job and allow the governor to run roughshod over them, just the same as you can see that at the federal government level, you know, we're not supposed to be ruled by executive orders and edicts and mandates and decrees. We're supposed to have a legislative process. But too often people are allowing governors and also presidents to just, you know, sign off on something and people believe that it's law uh, and it is not. So we've got to get back to that blocking and tackling of understanding what it means to live in a constitutional republic. Um Back to the national side, Kevin McCarthy, you talked about the Republicans maybe getting an F uh, in 
the in the house and of course kevin mccarthy is majority chair there in the house and his uh, becoming elected was a fraught endeavor of many negotiations and mm. votes um what about him personally and where does the the position or the role or the place of the freedom caucus fit into his role in the house well i think the freedom caucus is just trying to restore what we uh what we call regular order up there in the united states house of representatives to do things by the regular processes and procedures that they're supposed to operate under and not have you know bills basically be written in the speaker's office or in the majority leader's office and uh you know you get told a couple of days out this is what you're going to vote for like an omnibus spending bill which you know they continue to do and that's what gets us into this fiscal mess that we find here in the united states of america so i applaud it the people for saying that the election of a speaker is just not a coronation. Uh, there are some very serious things that we want to see happen. And uh, Kevin McCarthy had to go through that, uh, that crucible to get their support. Uh, but again, on this backside, we still don't see them getting the appropriations bills passed and things of this nature. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't have to sit around and wait and impeach Joe Biden on this, the corruption thing. I mean, what he is doing on the border is a violation of the Constitution, and, and and that's his policy. I mean, he came in and he said, we're going to allow legals to come into to this country. That's treasonous. Uh, when you are selling oil from our strategic petroleum reserve to China, to me, that's treasonous. But that's what this administration is doing. When you're undermining your country's own energy independence, uh, to me, that's a high crime and misdemeanor. When you are restoring the Taliban back into power in Afghanistan, that's aiding and abetting a terrorist organization. So there's so many things that you can hold Joe Biden accountable for. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, like, like I said, at least the we don't have Nancy Pelosi still as the Speaker of the House <laughs> there. And, and we would not know anything about the level of corruption we see with this Biden family. Um. One thing I guess people like Pelosi and maybe Mitch McConnell can say is they don't remember. We've we've seen the age <laughs> discussion, and poor Mitch McConnell has his uh, issues. Let's say is um, that ages? We called you an ages. <laughs> I didn't say such a thing. No, I didn't say. <laughs> but how does that fit? Because in in the UK, it's kind of a rush or a move towards younger and younger, where yeah. America seems to be older and older. And with Pelosi, yeah. and she's going to run again, and she's, what, 82 or 83? Absolutely. At some point, you have to retire. And I don't know whether that fits in with the American political model. Well, it's, it's interesting enough. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was George Mason who said 17 June 1787, that nothing so greatly impels a man to regard the interests of his constituents than the certainty of returning to the general mass of the people from whence he was taken, where he shall participate in their burdens. Our founding fathers never meant for us to have a career political class, a political elite. But due to the apathy uh, of the electorate here in America, this is exactly what we have. So interestingly enough, Peter, what you have seen because of the last couple of episodes of Mitch McConnell just blanking out and uh, what has been a cup, Diane Feinstein and, and her uh, health issues and John Fetterman, I mean, who cannot hold a clear sentence, uh, people are asking for term limits. 
uh, there in the House and Senate at the federal government level. There are many states that have term limits on their representatives, but we don't have that. Uh, I remember when I was sworn into Congress, there was a congressman from Michigan by the name of, uh, I think, David Dingell. And Dingell had been in office longer than I had been alive. And so you just ask yourself. And of course, when he finally dies, uh, who gets it, who gets to take his seat? His wife. And, and so this is not the cronyism, nepotism that, that we want it to have in America. So, yes, people are starting to ask the question about mental acuity. I mean, you look at our own president and this is not good on on the on the on the uh, on the public stage you know what would the media in america would would say if donald trump had ever said at a press conference in a foreign country i'm going to bed now i mean <laughs> <laughs> they go berserk and so i think that americans do want uh, something different and i got to tell you this is something that nikki haley has been talking about. It's time for a new generation of uh, of leaders. And I think she's 50, 51 years of age. And uh, this is something that's, that's striking the tone with the American people. And I'll be very honest, you know, even President Trump, I think he's 77 or 78. And so the American people are sitting back saying, I mean, we got an 80 year old and a 77, 78 year old. We're going to be voting for them to be president once again. Uh, they're not happy with that setup. Um well, sleepy Joe, uh, he and he does need to sleep, I'm sure. And I want to touch on the Republican primary, but just last last thinking on on the Mitch McConnell situation. Um, obviously, the Republicans in the Senate decided he was the best person for the job. Does that mean the caliber isn't as high in the Senate as it should be, or are there mm-hmm. others that could step into that position and be voted in? Well, I think what they decided and voted on is this all this same old thing. He's been there and and that's who who should be the leader. Uh, and he can raise the most money. Uh, that there have to be better qualifications than just that. You need someone that is sharp, that has the ability to go out there and go head to head on the debate debate floor with, uh, you know, the Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer. Uh, you cannot have someone that says they're a leader and they're, they're having these moments of blanking out. Uh, and I would think that it would be the honorable thing for Mitch McConnell to say that, you know, I'm not up to this anymore. I'm going to step aside and let someone younger, John Thune or whoever, to step into this position. So, uh, but again, it comes back to the American people now starting to ask, should there be term limits? Should there be mental acuity testing uh, on individuals there in the House and the Senate, or maybe even the Supreme Court? Um, You mentioned uh, Nikki Haley and obviously the Republican primary. And I watched the the first debate. I was over there mm-hmm. in, in Virginia and I watched it. Uh, the main candidate, obviously, Trump, was not there. Um, yeah. And I thought Nikki Haley did well. I thought Vivek did well, although I'm not sure exactly where he's come from. Obviously, I've um, watched DeSantis has been a very good governor. Uh, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the field because my initial thoughts were if someone like donald trump is running then you don't even get in the ring it's not your time but these individuals have chosen to to put themselves up against the grill in the room in effect Uh, what are your thoughts as you look from the outside at the campaign at the primary 
Well, I will tell you very simply, and I've said this publicly on many interviews, is that Donald Trump has to change the narrative. Donald Trump should be on that debate stage because right now the media is painting him as someone uh, that a former president under indictments, uh, several different states. What he has to do is be the former president that is running to be president again. Uh, and and that, the only way you change that is to go on offense, to be on the debate stage, to defend your record, to talk about your record, to talk about where you are now. And if you're going to be, you know, I'll use your, your metaphor. If you're the gorilla, well, then you got to beat down all the chimpanzees, mm. uh, but you can't run away from them. Uh, and, and I think that that's the important thing that he has to do. So if he continues to skip debates, uh, my concern is he makes himself less and less relevant. Uh, when when it comes to talking about the issues. And, you know, afterwards, I mean, you can go on Tucker and everything like that and have what, I don't know, 10, 12 million people check it out. But still, you were not on the debate stage. And, and I think it's a little disingenuous to the American people to say that, you know, I'm, I'm leading in the polls. I don't need to show up. I'm going to win it. Well, I'm a big college football fan. And, and I will tell you that every year you have your preseason ranked number one team. And it just so happens it's Georgia. And Georgia, of course, they've won the two last national champions. But even being a preseason number one, that doesn't mean they skip all of the, the games in the season. It doesn't mean that they say, well, we're only going to play teams with a winning record or we're only going to play our home games. We're not going to go travel to anybody else's stadium because we're the preseason ranked number one. Every single weekend, Georgia has to go out and validate their ranking. Uh, and every team has to do that. So I think that President Trump should not sit back and just say, hey, look, I'm ahead. I don't need to go. You got to show that you are the gorilla. You, you do deserve that ranking. You do deserve that polling support and uh, get that narrative changed. I watched my first football game when I was over there, USC against someone else. And after three <laughs> and a half hours, I had lost the will to live. So, yeah, I, sometime I need to be educated on the ins and outs of American football. Peter, let me tell you what. One of these days, I, I graduated from the University of Tennessee. I'm going to take you to the good old-fashioned Southeastern Conference football game. You're absolutely going to love it. I'll walk you through and talk you through everything. But the best part is all the tailgating, man. It was it was confusing, but I will take you up on that offer, definitely, someday. Um, you mentioned parental rights, and yeah. I've just actually written a piece for our church magazine on this issue, which we are facing a hugely hot topic, currently debated in Parliament over the last few weeks even. I was at a demo yesterday outside Parliament on this very issue. Um, and how is we've watched those debates with parents, those school meetings, uh, mm -hmm. the frustration of parents even getting access to materials. And this has certainly been a, a huge topic here and over there. How is that playing out in the political sphere um, with many organizations trying to educate parents to what is happening, yeah. getting parents more involved, trying to wake up politicians to what's happening? Well, I, I will tell you again, let's go back to what happened in Virginia uh, and you saw a state that had just gone for Joe Biden in the 2020 election by 10 or 11 points. Uh, and then a year later, they lose the governor's mansion. They lose the lieutenant governor. They lose attorney general. Why? 
because all of a sudden Terry McAuliffe gets on the debate stage against Glenn Youngkin and says the quote that the left has always believed secretly and in, in private, but he said it in public. Parents do not have a right in deciding what their children are being taught. That unified people, R&D didn't matter. It, it was just parents who want to have the best opportunities for their kids and the best opportunities comes from a, a great education. And when you start to look now at the schools and, and our kids that are failing, not reading and not doing math at grade level across the country, but yet, you know, everyone is saying uh, er everything's fine in our schools. Uh, when you have school choice that got passed in a Republican legislature in North Carolina, but the Democrat governor, Roy Cooper, comes out and declares a state of emergency against school choice. No, this is this is and it really lit a fire under a lot of parents. You know, no one has ever really paid attention to school board meetings. People are showing up at school board meetings. People are running for school board. They want to make sure that the right education policies are there. They don't want these filthy books that are showing up in school libraries. You know, in California, they're out there saying that, you know, if your child, a little boy wants to be a little girl, you have to go along with it or else the state of California is going to take your child away from you. This is huge, man. I, I mean, I don't know what the left is thinking or, you know, having this drag queen, you know, exposure of our kids. I mean, that's contributing to a delinquency of a minor. I mean, you can't take a, a kid to a strip show. Or, you know, they talk about this gender mutilation surgeries. If you're under the age of 18, you can't even get a tattoo. But now we're supposed to believe that an 11, 12-year-old can decide that they want their bodies to be mutilated and parents are supposed to go along with it or else lose their child. This is a huge issue going into 2024. And when you have an organization called Moms for Liberty that really is out there, you know, standing up for parental rights, and they're designated as a hate group. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the FBI is, uh, you know, classifying parents as domestic terrorists that are going to, you know, school board meetings. This is lighting a fire on a lot of people here in the United States of America, parents and grandparents. Uh, and, and I think it's going to play hugely in the 2024 cycle. Yeah, we've had Tina Descovich on twice talking to her about what Moms mm -hmm. for Liberty are doing. Uh, and extremely jealous of the the success they're having and we need something like that here mm -hmm. uh, but i'm wondering wh what about churches what's the church's position and role and engagement in this protecting children issue i think churches are waking up as a matter of fact last week i was up in ohio you know they have this ballot initiative coming up in november which will basically codify murder says in the Bible in Deuteronomy 30 and 19, you know, I set before you heaven and earth and life and death and choose life so that you and your descendants shall live. I mean, it's very simple. Uh, Psalms 121 verses three through five talks about children are a blessing from God and the man that has more of them is like arrows in the quiver. Jeremiah chapter one talk about I knew you before I formed you in the womb. So I think you're going to see a lot of churches standing up against this because this is infanticide. This is not just about, okay, uh, you know, I'm a victim of rape, I'm a victim of incest. This is about murdering unborn babies all the way up to the time that they're born. And even in some states, California, a couple of others, they're talking about 
if you don't want the baby after it's born, still kill it. Now, to me, uh, that's I don't understand how you justify that. So uh, this is also is going to be a, a huge issue. I, the left, I think, believes that they can win on this. But when you really describe it, what they stand for and, and Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, who was a white supremacist and a racist, people aren't going to go for that. And, and it's been a destruction of the black community. I, I want everyone to understand since Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 20 million black babies have been murdered in the womb. Now, in any other sense, people would say that's a genocide. So it's those simple bits of information and education we got to get people out there. But yet, 70 to 73 percent of Planned Parenthood clinics are located in black communities. So this is targeted. This issue play out in the Republican primary itself, uh, the issue of pro-life, uh, which some candidates are certainly much more, some are afraid of engaging and on the issue of parental rights and responsibility of children, which are two huge issues, but obviously quite separate issues. How do you see that playing out in the Republican primary itself? I think Republicans need to go on offense. And I think that people are looking for someone that is strong on those issues. Lots of times Republicans will, you know, and these are the establishment Republicans say, don't talk about the, the, the life issue. Don't talk about social issues. Well, they're here. And you're talking about a group of people that believe in murdering children up to the time of birth. You're talking about a group of people that want to expose our children to sexual deviancy and perversion. You're talking about people that want to mutilate the bodies of our children. And, and they don't want our kids to get a good quality education. So I think that there is an incredible opportunity here for strong constitutional conservatives who just happen to have an R after their name to go against the Democrats and say, why do you hate children? I mean, that's the question that we, we should be asking. Why does this party have such an angst against children? They want to kill them in the womb uh, after they're born. They, if they allow them to be born, they want to mutilate their bodies. They want to expose them to sexual deviancy and perversion. You know, we've got this thing in America now where the left is saying, you can't say pedophiles anymore, Peter. You have to say minor attracted persons. Well, let me tell you something. I've got a two-year-old grandson. I got another grandson on the way. You will see someone come down on you like Thor if you mess with my grandsons. Uh, and, and so we've got to protect our kids. But with all that being said, they still don't want to educate them. They have a good future. I mean, it's appalling what is happening in the system of education in America where our kids can't read and do math at grade level. So, yes, I think that this is an issue that should be talked about. It's an economic issue because the more that you have future generations dependent upon the government, you know, who's going to pay for that? So mm -hmm. we are dwindling our economic opportunities by way of lessening our educational opportunities. Can I finish on something a little bit different? Your background is military. Mm -hmm. And here in the UK, we've had that well, with the royal family. We've had the military connection. We've yeah. had originally, traditionally, uh, many serving the military going into public service in politics. And I know you've also had that in the States. Um, is that becoming less so? with military shrinking, with the less influence, um, the, the route you've taken, is that not really as viable to others? 
Well, I will tell you that I come from a, a military family. Uh, my dad served in the Army in World War II in the European theater. My older brother was a Marine infantryman in Vietnam. Uh, my dad challenged me to be the first officer in our family uh, when I was 15. And so I went through college ROTC and was commissioned in 1982, served 22 years. My nephew is a lieutenant colonel right now in the Army. My father-in-law did 24 years of service, two combat tours of Vietnam. Both of my son-in-laws uh, are soldiers. Uh, and, and so that sense of generational service to the country, I think we're losing that. And as a matter of fact, it was about a month and a half ago, the current Secretary of the Army, Christine Warmoth, said that she doesn't want to recruit you know, future soldiers from families that have generations of service to the country. She wants to look at a new and different type of recruit. Well, first of all, what a slap in the face to, you know, families that have had a lifelong, you know, commitment to this country of, of service and sacrifice and commitment. And I think everyone knows that the recruiting and retention in our military is down. Why? Because they're focusing on all these social uh, pet peeves and ideological agendas of the left. You cannot have an effective military fighting force if you're instituting cultural Marxism that says, well, you know, Peter, since your skin color, you're bad, you're an oppressor, there's nothing you can do about that. Alan, because of your skin color, you're a victim, you're oppressed. So how are we supposed to get in a foxhole together, Peter? How are we supposed to trust each other in, you know, a situation called combat? But yet that's what's happening in our military and this whole emphasis on gender dysphoria and how we're spending taxpayer money to allow, you know, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines to take paid leave to go and murder, you know, future generations of soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines in their womb. So uh, we have got to change things in, in the Oval Office because the most important title for President of the United States of America is Commander in Chief. And right now, when you think about what Joe Biden did with that debacle in Afghanistan, where 13 Americans unnecessarily lost their lives. Many others were wounded at, at uh, Kar Hamid Karzai International Airport. But the story is not told about the other Marines who have committed suicide because of that fateful day and how so many feel that they were abandoned. And, and I spent two and a half years in Afghanistan. Uh, so we have got to change things with the leadership of our military, uh, especially the civilian side. You know, when you've got a secretary of defense that's writing letters to females in the military saying that uh, you just need to go ahead and, and be prepared for biological males to be in your shower and latrine facilities. That's not what the, the American people want to support in our military. Because the, the military in, in the U.S. has been an institution that has united the country traditionally. Mm -hmm. You have much more respect, I think, for your military even than than we have in Europe. Um, and I kind of see that as a foreigner looking in as slowly unraveling. Is that a kind of fair assessment? It's a very fair assessment. And, and the thing is that it is not that the the trust and confidence is, is lacking for the individual, the young troop, soldier, sailor, air, marine. It's the lack of trust and confidence in the leadership of our military, being the civilian leadership or the senior military leadership that is that is lacking. So until there are changes there, uh, that lack of trust and confidence is going to continue. 
Colonel Alan West, I appreciate you coming on today. And obviously the viewers no. can get more of you on Steadfast and Loyal Podcast over on Rumble and elsewhere. And I will certainly take you up on your offer of understanding college <laughs> football. I will sometime. But thank you yeah. so much for coming on and sharing your expertise and understanding of what's happening stateside. Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure and God bless you and God be with you. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.